Hey everyone, good morning. My name is Matthew, I'm the parish pastor here on the east side. Welcome to church. We're gonna be reading from the Gospel of Luke today, chapter 24, so let's continue in worship as we read verses 44 to 53. And then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this Easter season. We thank you for the invitation to celebrate, to celebrate the resurrection, to celebrate that we live in a world in which life has triumphed over death, in which the final word spoken over creation is hope, renewal. And God, we pray that today as we come to this text, the strange story around ascension, we, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts and you would ignite our imaginations and that you would answer the deep longings within us with the hope that this ascension gives. God, help us to receive it into ourselves, to be changed by it. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this time and space. We thank you that you're here. We pray for your presence to be made manifest among us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is the final Sunday of Easter. Um, and so for seven Sundays now, we have celebrated resurrection with one another. And then this past Thursday, the church celebrated what's called Ascension Day. And I'm sure probably most of you like me just had huge parties, you know, like block parties for Ascension Day uh, with the, you know, the people that you live with. And, and after Ascension Day, we entered this sort of strange 10-day period of waiting for Pentecost Sunday, which is gonna be next, next week. And that's why we're doing what we're doing right now. We're gathering every morning for the, these 10 mornings and we're praying as the disciples did, sort of waiting and asking for God to come in fresh ways and new ways to be clothed with power and what that means we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but that's what we're doing right now. We're in that strange in-between space between the Ascension and, and Pentecost. And I, what we're gonna do today is I actually just wanna start about midway through our text because we already a number of weeks ago talked about how Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. When we taught on uh, the, 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 the road to Emmaus conversation, which I think was four Sundays ago or something, Jesus in that place does the same thing. He gives a Bible study and he says, see the whole Bible's about me. Um, and so rather than repeating that, you can just go back and check it out from a handful of weeks ago. But I wanna start where Jesus begins to tell them what to expect next. So he says, first of all, Jesus tells them to wait for the fulfillment of an old promise. He says, I want you to wait, which is where we are right now. Wait for what? For the fulfillment of an old promise. And here's why this is so important, I think. 
throughout the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God revealed and manifested in Jesus, this God is, is, is expressed and experienced through so many different qualities and characteristics. But if you were going to try to pick like two of them, they would be his love, his faithfulness, his love, his steadfast love, and his righteousness. Uh, so the, the two Hebrew words for that are chesed, his, his, his covenant-keeping love, his, his steadfast love, and that God is sadiq, he is righteous, also just. The, the word is translated both ways. So God is both sadiq and he is full of chesed. And, and here's why that is connected to what Jesus is doing right here. All throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly making promises to Abraham, to Adam and to Eve, uh, to, to Isaac and, and Jacob and Moses and David. He is constantly making promises. And what Jesus is saying here, as has been true of God's character throughout the whole Old Testament, is that God is a God who keeps his promises, which is what it means to be righteous. This is what it means ultimately, that God's righteousness is his covenant faithfulness. God is a God who, as we sing together, he is a promise keeper. He keeps what he says he's going to do. And so Jesus picks this up and he says, I want you to know that the story of Israel's God continues on because my father keeps his word. He is going to be faithful. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are always making these comparisons between the gods of the nations and then the God of Israel. And they say, the gods of the nations have eyes, but do not see. That is, they are blind to your experience. They have ears, but do not hear. That is, they are deaf to your cry. They have hands, but they cannot move. That is, they are unable to respond to your plight. But the God of Israel has eyes and can see. He has ears and can hear. He has hands and he can move. He, his arm is not too short to save. In other words, your God is a God who um, sees you, hears you, and will come through for you. And there's a lot of uncertainty that a lot of us are experiencing right now. I think about all the uncertainty in my life even, and, and some of it related to this season, but also well before and outside of the season. Uncertainty about my future, uncertainty about my, my family's future, uncertainty uh, uh, around uh, this church, uncertainty around our country, about the environment, the geopolitical state of the world. I mean, there's a lot of things to be uncertain about. Some of us right now are, are uncertain about things that are like real pressing and imminent, like how will next month's power bill get paid because I've been furloughed or I've been laid off or my hours have been significantly cut. Some of us are like, that's the uncertainty. Others, it's more sort of broad meta life questions like, will I ever be married? Will I ever have children? So on and so forth. And so this uncertainty is just, in some ways, it's a part of what it is to be human. And, and as a counter, as a counterweight, a counterpoint to that, throughout the Bible, God always describes himself and his people who know him always describe him as like, there is a certain thing in the world. The certain thing is that your God is righteous. That is, he keeps his promises. He is a covenant keeper. He will come through. So Jesus says, I want you to wait for the thing in this world that is certain. The, the promise of my father is going to be fulfilled and it will be filled in your days shortly. And this is what that promise is. He says, you will be clothed with power from on high. I really love the imagery of that um, because it's this idea of something coming to me from the outside, wrapping itself around my body and giving me uh, ability that I would not have otherwise. And so it's, 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 it's something external coming and wrapping around my person and giving me capacities that I would not otherwise 
uh, have within myself. Jesus says, this is what the promise of my father is. He will come and give you abilities and powers that you would not otherwise have. And that's going to come to us through the Holy Spirit. And this is what we do. This is what we're doing every morning right now. This is what we do throughout the year when we say, come Holy Spirit. We are asking for God to come and give us the ability to be who he calls us to be. This is the thing about power. When Jesus says you're going to be clothed with power, he is in no way thinking of an exploitive force. He is not thinking in any way of some sort of, 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 of thing that will be exercised at the expense of others. That is the furthest thing from his mind. How did Jesus use power? He uses it to lift up the lowly. He uses it to heal the sick. He uses it to give a home to the lonely. He uses it to restore the disenfranchised. Jesus always uses his power, never for his own gains, never to comfort or care for himself, but only and exclusively for the sake of others. And in our day and age, we rightly so have a, have a healthy um, suspicion of power. Um, and that comes from the, the, the fact that most often power is associated with uh, the abuse of power. That's how power is almost always showcased today. Even in the church, I mean, over the years recently, how many people like respected, um, like well-loved people have fallen from grace because it turns out that the power that they had been given, the spiritual power they had been given was used to take and exploit and to rob uh, and to destroy. And God help us, like, have mercy on us. When Jesus says you will be clothed with power, he is not thinking of an oppressive force, of a force that, that causes others to, to be subjected or a, a colonial force. He is only and in, in utterly thinking of something that will be used to lift up and exalt because that's how God understands power because that's what the origin of power is. If you think about what the origin of power is, it comes from a place, it comes from who God is. God uses his power he exercises influence always for the sake of others. And so when we say we are asking for power from on high, we're just saying we want love to come to us so that we're able to love people in a way that we are not capable of loving in our own strength. I can't white knuckle my way into loving the way that God calls me to love or forgiving as deeply and truly and permanently as God calls me to forgive or to see the need of my neighbor and respond in generosity as greatly as I have the opportunity to do because I am ultimately you know, looking for self preservation. So I need power from on high to come and to give me capacity outside of myself so that I can be a person who reflects and walks in the way of Jesus on the earth. And then finally, Jesus ascends. Jesus ascended to the Father. And for years, I just kind of thought that this was a strange way to end the story, but just kind of how Jesus decided to do it. Like, oh, okay, you know, you lived a pretty incredible life. You should end your life by blasting off into heaven. I mean, it's, it's how the matrix ended. So th this feels like a good ending uh, to the story. But listen, the, um, the ascension of Jesus is not in any way an embellishment at the end of the story. It is not an unnecessary part of the Jesus story. It's why it's in our creeds. The, the ascension of Jesus is as necessary as the proclamation of the kingdom the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It is utterly essential to Jesus because the ascension of Jesus is, um, as, as Tim Keller said, the trigger that ignites the bomb of the ministry of Christ over the whole earth. It is the thing that actually establishes all over the earth what Jesus had always uh, done localized in his person. So when Jesus was here in the flesh, he fulfilled the three primary kingdom roles of Israel. That is, he was the prophet and the priest and the king that Israel had always been looking to. 
He has uh, perfect prophetic powers. Like he's able to, uh, he, his, his teaching had incredible prophetic authority. He would say things like you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. And everyone says, yeah, that's what everyone says. And he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and you will be sons of your father. In other words, Jesus' prophetic ministry always came as, a, as an incredibly significant, powerful counterweight to the teaching of his day and age. He was here to tell us what God is really like, what ultimate reality is really composed of, what the mysteries of God are for us. But they were always um, limited to his, his, his body. Jesus took up the same amount of space that you take up. <laughs> one person's worth. That's what Jesus did. He had one person's worth of space. And so whether he's on a hillside in Palestine or he's in a room in Jerusalem, Jesus is always speaking to a, a limited group of people and giving this prophetic ministry. J similarly, Jesus's kingly ministry is limited to his, his the limitation of time and space, whether he's in a boat commanding creation around or he's walking you know, through the garrison and he's commanding the spirit realm around. Jesus is perfect rule and authority over demons and over waves and wind and rocks and trees, over people. Jesus's perfect kingly ministry was always limited uh, to his capacity to take up a space. So for example, when he uh, is standing in the face of Pontius Pilate, the embodiment of empire in Palestine in that day, and he is proclaiming to Pilate the true kingdom, his kingdom, uh, it's happening in that one little space. The rule of God's kingdom through Jesus was, was limited by his capacity. And finally, his priestly ministry, his mediation between uh, condemned people and condemners. In John chapter eight, when a woman is caught in adultery and thrown at the feet of Jesus and surrounded on all sides by accusations and they're about to stone her and Jesus stands into the middle of this place and he's, he pardons the woman and rebukes the accusers. Jesus' role as mediator, as a person who stood between the holy and the unholy, ultimately as perfectly embodied on the cross where Jesus literally stood in the place of the unholy um, for our sake. Jesus was the perfect priest, but, but always, always in time and space. And he says in John's gospel, it is so much better if I go because if I go, the spirit will come. And when the spirit comes, Prophetic ministry of Jesus now no longer just exists on hillsides in Palestine, but it lives within my own heart. The kingly ministry of Jesus is no longer contained in single spaces, but Jesus is ruling over all creation and human history right now, over the earth and the cosmos. Jesus Christ rules as king. And his priestly ministry is no longer limited to individual encounters with persons, but he is right now, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator for every one of us. He is the high priest for all of us. One of my favorite little passages comes from the book of First uh, John. First John chapter two, it says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, I, I, want, I want your life to, I want you to have a better life. And, and if you don't sin, your life will be better. I write these things to you, my little children, because I don't want you to sin. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's that word again. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the promise keeper. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, I just want to like land with this idea. What is true right now for you, right now, 
And I know this is hard because what is also true for right, us right now is that we're living in a very strange day and you're watching church in a, in, you know, on your couch right now. And like, there's a lot of things that are true about this world, but what is ultimately true, if we could just take a step back as Christ always invites us to do and just look at the big thing, the ultimate reality is that in this moment right now, Jesus Christ is your perfect advocate before the Father. Not because the Father is against you, the Father loves you and knows what you need and is for you and has appointed Jesus the Son to this role. But Jesus stands on your behalf right now advocating for you and fighting for you because he uh, loves you. In Acts chapter 7, the deacon Stephen is accused of false teaching and the religious rulers are really put out by this man's teaching because he's saying the temple doesn't matter anymore. Jesus is the temple. It was always about Jesus. And now through the Holy Spirit, God can be experienced anywhere in the world. We don't have to come to Jerusalem. And if your whole livelihood is wrapped up in the temple, that's a pretty dangerous teaching. And they get so angry at Stephen that they cover their ears and they begin to scream at him. And he says in that moment, it says, he looked up to heaven and he said, I see the heavens open and Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. And at that that word, they get so furious, they throw him outside and begin to stone him. And as they're stoning him, he says two things. He says, forgive them, Father. And then he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit, which of course is meant to ring a hundred bells inside of us. It's, 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 it's the cross again. Jesus in that moment is, um, or Stephen in that moment is, is, is in every way he is experiencing the presence of his uh, master. He is walking in the way of Jesus all the way to the end. Now here's the question for a guy like Stephen. Where do you get the confidence to not run, to not be defensive, to not fight back, to be at peace, to not be afraid, to die peacefully as people are hurling stones at your head? Where do you get that kind of sublime confidence? And the answer is when Stephen looked up and he saw his teacher, his savior, his Lord standing before God on his behalf, he knew that it didn't matter what the religious ruler said. It didn't matter what the council of the Sanhedrin said about him. They could accuse him. They could call him sinful. They could call him hideous and ugly, a blemish on the people. They could say anything to him. But before God, Jesus Christ was looking and saying, Stephen, Stephen is my beautiful one. He is my pure and righteous one. He is my brother. He is kin. In other words, and I know this is hard to get inside of us sometimes, but in the only court of opinions that matters in the entire world, you are utterly accepted and loved. In the only court of opinions that actually will matter in, in your life or mine, everything is already fully assured and safe. My hands and life and soul and self are in the hands of, of God, the righteous. There's a hymn that I, I've loved for a long time, um, Before the Throne of God Above, and Micah is gonna sing, sing it with us now, but there's a line in there in particular I just wanna give to you as just a, a, like a line spoken over you. I know that sometimes when we talk about these things, they're very esoteric, it's, it's, easy to, to, it's, easy to feel, it's easy to feel like they don't stick. I think this is what we need the Holy Spirit for. We need the prophetic ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in a moment like this to take something that feels out of reach and spiritual and actually bring it home to our full lived experience right now. Because I'm telling you, and I believe this with all my heart, that the degree to which you and I know that we are utterly safe and secure and loved as we are right now, not as we will be, but as we are right now to that degree, you and I will have the confidence and the peace and the joy to face and do anything. The song goes, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, 
upward I look to the ascended Christ, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, the righteous, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me.